0: Most original Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. I don't like looking back. I prefer to look forward and keep moving forward. There's a lot of
1: folks, they read the questions on the cards, they wait for the answer, and then they read the next question on the card. We don't do that. We really talk like we're talking mm-hmm. today, and I do a lot of research and try to dig out the bits and pieces of a life or of yes. an agenda that people don't want to talk about. Monte Alvarado. I pray that EWTN News in depth will help the everyday life of every Catholics by bringing them the news that matters to them and helping them to have the information at their fingertips for discussions at the kitchen table or those fun reception discussions, whatever it is that they need to be able to engage with the world confidently with their faith. Get trusted
2: Catholic news every day
1: on EWTN
0: television and radio. The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
2: You want the good news, you want the bad news? I don't like either one of those options. Your words are super wise, man.
0: You are a prophet. You deserve a prophet.
2: You do whatever you want. Who am I to tell you what to do? But you're a psychologist. Well, I know less than you do. You're making me a better parent and a better wife, and thank God you're on the radio. What planet are you on? I don't buy any of that
0: stuff. you I'm looking for a deeper answer.
2: What are you talking about? You make my afternoon really fun enjoy you. You're
3: about the most exciting thing I have right now. <laughs>
0: Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray.
2: You know, I was thinking all of us health nuts are going to feel pretty dumb one day, lying in hospitals, dying of nothing. Good to have you with me here. The doctor is in. This is E-Person Monday. It is the day we reserve to attempt to walk our way through some of the e-persons that we get. Dr. Ray, why do you call them e-persons? Because male is insensitive. E-persons. I'm going to get rid of the sons eventually, too. It's going to be e-people Monday. We'll get to those in a moment. I like to read them. Now, interestingly enough, there's a style I take with them. I choose them. I get several hundred a month and because of this uh, I choose certain ones that lend themselves well to be talked about on the air I try to respond to every single one in some small way um, many of them come from the TV show we have a couple uh, requests on the TV show that say we'd like to hear from you please please send your questions comments to drray.com, the website however uh, here what I do is I set them aside and some of them, like I'm looking at one right now, believe it or not, was from November of last year. Now, that's way back. And it's in the stack here. It got lost in the stack. So, so if I address it today, the, the, the dear lady who wrote it is going to say, who are you? Who are you? What's this about? What are you talking about? But I like to read between the lines and not just read the email and then at the end say, okay, here's my thoughts. I like to stop every sentence or two and try to figure out what is being said in between the lines. So that's my general approach to this. We will we will get to that shortly. I had a client recently say to me that at some level our fallen human nature how should I put this? I don't want to say it's a gift. It's it's not a gift. It can't be a gift theologically speaking, but It is something that can be used, well, maybe to our benefit. Here's what I'm thinking. I have nothing to give God. Everything's his. It's all his. The universe is his. The breath I take is his. I cease to exist if he simply stops stops sustaining me. I've got nothing to give God except. My love and obedience. That's what I have. He has given me the ability to choose to obey him or not to obey him. To seek him or not to seek him. That's all I have to give him back. If it were easy for me to obey him, if it came naturally, if if I just automatically did what was right and good, reflexively, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be giving God much because it's just naturally part of who I am but when I have to go against my passions my instincts my urges my wants my desires all the things that within me could pull me in a different direction and I go against them and I go against them because I want to do what God wants me to do I want to get closer to him so I with his help, resist my natural inclinations. That allows me to give back to God. If, for example, I really don't want to give that much money to that charity. I don't. You know, it's my money. I want to keep it. But I do. I give that and and more. Now, that's going against my natural direction, my natural direction is to keep more of that money for myself, but I don't. That allows me to obey. It allows me to go against what I would want to do, if not trying to obey God. I mean, if I if I thought there was no God, then as Solzhenitsyn says, and Brother Karimotsoff, I think that's where it was from. The one brother said, uh, if there is no God, everything is permissible. It's true. It is. All you have to worry about is legal repercussions or getting caught or somebody else hurting you in response. Or getting fat. Because you can't just eat what you want without untoward realistic effects. So, given all that, I am permitted to give back to God. Because it isn't easy for me to give back. It goes against what I would naturally rather do. If I have somebody in my life that's extremely difficult to get along with, naturally it would be easier just to avoid them. Just get them out. Get lost. I not have to talk to you. What if it's my mother? Brother? Cousin, maybe. Who knows? Spouse. Adult child. In my my mind, these people are not the easiest to get along with. I would much rather avoid them. I would much rather argue with them. I'd much rather put them in their place. All kinds of things that I might rather do. But if I choose not to, And I choose not to because I believe that's what God wants me to do for him then I'm giving myself back to him he has allowed me to have the free will to choose him that's all I can give him I can't give him anything else I can only give him my obedience that's it and obedience is not obedience if you naturally want to do it, if I'm going to obey you, and you want me to do something that I don't instinctively want to do, but I do it out of love for you, then I'm I'm giving part of myself to you. So in a way, we bemoan our sin nature, we bemoan, bemoan our fallen state, but we can use it. We can use it to give gifts. To God. When I come back, heading into your e-persons, I'm Dr. Ray. Don't touch that
0: dial! Dr. Ray will be back! Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria Mutual Funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria Mutual Funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria Mutual Funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com.
4: 60 on 10 with Monsignor Charles Pope.
0: The Fifth Commandment, you shall not kill At the heart of this commandment is an absolute insistence on the sacredness of human life. We read in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, Before I ever formed you in the womb, I knew you, says the Lord. So every human life is sacred because it's caught up in the mind and the heart and the will and the love of God. And no matter how we're conceived or any circumstances, God has always known and loved every human person. And for this reason, we are to hold sacred every human life. We are, therefore, to never murder, never kill, never seek vengeance. Of course, we have issues of abortion and euthanasia today, and we have so many ways where we in some way disrespect the lives of other human persons and even our own life. We have to learn to respect it as a great gift from God. The fifth commandment, you shall not kill.
4: For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com.
2: He was a Jesuit, a Cardinal, and a Doctor of the Church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Robert Bellarmine is honored for his immense contributions to theology, including helping to draft two important catechisms that defended church teachings during the Protestant Revolt. Pope Clement VIII named Bellarmine a cardinal because, as the Pope put it, Bellarmine had not his equal for learning. For more about the Doctors of
3: the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com.
2: I think I can take a lesson from the weather. It doesn't pay any attention to unfair criticism. You know, when you get criticize, you've you really got one thing to consider. Is it true? That's really all you have to consider. You don't have to consider anything else. You don't have to say, what right do they have to say that? I don't do that to them. Who do they think they are? I deserve more than that. That's not true about me. All those things that make you upset. The only thing you really got to be concerned about is what they're saying. Is it true? And that requires you to be objective about yourself, which is really hard to do. Come on. Naturally, we are subjective. What else am I going to be? But to the degree that I can stop and consider what they said. Do I do that? Do I do that with just them? Do I do that with everybody? When do I do that? How do I come across when I do that? A little bit of self-exploration never hurt anybody, even though it hurts to do it. All right. What's the call I got? It it looks like a was a retired teacher. I listened to your radio broadcast the other day, and a teacher called in to describe how he handled discipline cases. I am a retired educator, elementary and middle school teacher, and elementary school principal, and I would like to share what I did. I will add that it was well worth my time and effort, because without discipline in a classroom, no learning can take place. Let me stop there. That's absolutely true. Uh, some weeks back, I did a an monologue on teachers being among the most, oh, morale-depleted profession I come across because they are asked to do things they can't do and they're not given the leverage to do it and the statistics are just egregious in terms of how many are leaving the professional leaving the profession something like 55 percent in surveys have said they're considering seriously not coming back next school year all right here's what she did at the start of each school year i would make a phone call introducing myself to the parents and children in my classrooms or on my caseload now I'm assuming she means caseload a principal caseload now I don't know how big her school was maybe I'm misunderstanding this I would ask if they had any questions for me or anything they thought important for me to know you see what she's doing she's setting up an alliance an alliance before the fact in other words you're not going to just hear from me when your kid does something wrong I'm going to treat everybody equally right off the bat, right away quick, asking you what you would like me to know that's a that is by the way a great way to get along with people. What do you think I should do about this? How would you handle it that by the way solves a lot of problems in marriages too okay uh where are we at here uh I would then tell the parents that they would hear from me periodically. That they could call me, they could visit the classroom, and that I looked forward to working with their children. After the first set of calls, prior to opening day, in other words, before school started, but if not, on the first day of school, the call went to each family, so there would be no, our teacher called us and she didn't call you, So everybody got a call. After the first set of calls, I would split my class in half. I'd call half the families one week and half the next week. You know, that is over and above the call of duty. That's a lot. Let's say you got 22 kids in your class. You're calling 11 one week and 11 the other week. Now, assume you can get a hold of all of them. I don't know how many times she tried. But what it did is it set a tone It set a tone. I like you. I like your kid. I want to help you. I want to help your kid. Calls did not have to be long. There was always something to talk about. Now she says, here's the key question. What does this have to do with discipline? There are always those students who will act out for one reason or another. And that's detrimental to them and to the entire class because learning stops. Okay, she's, she's got that right. I mean, if you've got one or two or three kids, and they never miss, by the way, can disrupt the whole class. Naturally, I would have to deal with whatever it was at that moment. But after school hours, I would think about at least one positive thing that the child had done recently and use that as the purpose for my call. This is a call that would be made the day that the problem occurred. Okay, the kid acted up in class. The kid did something wrong in the playground. The kid did something wrong in the halls, in the lunchroom, wherever. And she thought about, i got to find something nice about this kid to say, especially recently. Began the call by talking about that positive. And then I addressed the negative. There didn't seem to be any bristling resistance, defensiveness on the part of the parent. If the child was also on the phone call, all the better. Now, I don't know if this was in the days before common cell phone usage, speaker phones on landlines. lines. I didn't want the parent to be harsh, but to follow my lead. What I called the repeat offenders realized... That they could be seen in a positive way, and they stopped looking for attention in a negative way. All right, let me just stop right there. I don't think she means to say this, but I think this is one of the great misunderstandings. That kids misbehave to get attention, and if it's negative, any kind of attention is good attention, even if it's bad attention. That's really not true. The main motive for kids acting up is impulse. um, Not caring about the rules. Defiance, challenging authority, I want to do what I want to do and you're in the way. That, that's, that's a theory that I got in grad school. It's one that's still very much around, which is kids misbehave to get attention. And therefore, when they're disciplined or punished, they got what they wanted, which was attention, because they're not getting enough attention. So that's why they're acting up. And this, this is particularly, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here, this is particularly destructive for parents because if i tell you your kid is acting up to get attention what's the implication you're not giving him enough good attention so he figures he's got to get attention in some way all right so he's going to be defiant and unpleasant and unruly just to get your attention because you're falling short as a parent you're deficient in your attention that that that's just not the case the vast majority of time that is not the case okay uh um that's These students, to repeat offenders, often became my, my best helpers. As time went on, didn't really take that long. I didn't make as many calls as often. Students knew there was an infraction. It would be discussed with the parents. And if there was something noteworthy, they also brought a phone call. I think what she did is something that has shown itself to be The main effective ingredient in therapy. She formed an alliance. The parents, to some degree, the kids felt she was on their side. She liked them. She cared about them. So that these parents, who, if this kid is a repeat offender, you gotta know that in all likelihood, You're not the first teacher to call the parents. You're not the first time they've heard from the school. I used to say this all the time with the teachers I worked with. If this child in a conference is tagged as one of the most difficult kids you've ever seen, and you've been teaching for 27 years, immediately the parent's on the defensive. So I told him one of the things to do is to start out by saying, you know, I, I really, I really, really enjoy being with your son. I do. And, and there's, I'll tell you, there's a lot of great things about him. This is what she's doing. But then I would advise them to say, I'm a little nervous because when he does this, uh, some of the other kids uh, are avoiding him, shunning him, turning on him. And, and I can't stop him. I can't catch him. So I really need your help in uh, helping me to take care of this problem. That's a better way to do it. Because keep in mind that when she called these parents, I'm sure she's not the first teacher who ever called them unless she taught first grade or kindergarten. And even at that, they probably had some troubles in preschool. The chronic unruly kids are usually the kids that the parent has heard from the CCD teacher the parent has heard from the preschool teacher the parent has heard from the babysitter the parent has heard from the coach the parent has heard from grandma the parent has heard from a lot of the grown-ups in the kids life that this kid is a behavior problem and uh, the teacher calling from the third grade level isn't the first so I think that the success in what this educator did was that she formed an early alliance with the parents. I'm on your side. I like your kid. I used to work in the S.B.H. classes, severe behavior handicapped. That's what they called it then. Prior to that, they called it uh, severely emotionally disturbed. They didn't like that emotions didn't get disturbed. They probably don't like handicapped anymore, you know, because it's not really. They don't use the word handicapped anymore. I don't even know what letters are using now. But I used to work with, I think it was 10 or 12 of these classes where they would take the kids. And these were the kids that really were the most disruptive in the classroom settings where they were, whether that was some other special ed program or general education. And I used to say that these kids weren't necessarily the most disturbed kids. There were probably kids in the classrooms that were much more dangerous Much uh, less conscience-directed than our kids in our SBH classes. But our kids were more immature. They were more chronically disruptive. They were more blatant in their misconduct. And myself and the teacher developed a connection to these kids. They, They were our misfits, really what they were. Uh, they were seen as that's where you go when you can't get along with anybody else. You're down in the SBH class. And I developed a, a real liking for the kids because I saw that uh, they they could they could control themselves a lot better than they did depending upon the vibes that they got from the teacher or from me, which is, hey, I'm going to hold you accountable, but it's nothing personal. I'm not putting you down because of it. I'm not implying you're a major league jerk. I'm just simply saying you did this and we got to do this about it. So I think this this teacher educator principle is onto something, which is I'm going to first tell you that I care about you. Then I'm going to discipline you. I think that's that's good ideas for for any kind of discipline. When we come back, we've got a dad here. That lives on his cell phone he's the dad of little kids I've had parents tell me that their husbands do this they either live on video games or they live on their smartphone and other mothers have said ladies gentlemen if your adolescent son is permitted to live on video games and permitted to live on his smartphone to the exclusion of much else in his social world. Think about his potential future wife. Will he outgrow this? Or will he become a married adolescent in the social media world?
4: with Teresa Tomio, People think it's easier to stay in the muck. The devil that we know is easier than the devil we don't know, but what they don't realize is that the situation can get worse. And what we're seeing now with some of these very liberal orders, let's say, for example, these liberal orders that are dying out, especially religious sisters, dying out, literally folding. And then you have the religious orders such as the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist, the Dominican Sisters in Nashville, the Sisters of Life in New York, flooded with requests for information and to meet with the sisters about this beautiful life because they're so joyful because they are living the truth of Scripture and the truth of the Eucharist, of Jesus. But these people will not let go because then you have to look yourself in the mirror and then you have to surrender. I think it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. Who's God? Are we God or is God God? Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN radio bishops in the catholic church are heralds of faith according to the catholic catechism their first task is to teach and preach the gospel to all men and women in this they are endowed with the authority of christ christ who is truth itself will to confer on the church a share in his own infallibility in order that the people of god have true guidance as to his teaching Christ thus endowed the Church's shepherds with the gift of infallibility when instructing in matters of faith and morals. The Pope enjoys infallibility when he proclaims by a definitive act a doctrine of faith and morals. This same infallibility is present in the College of Bishops only when, together with the Pope, they exercise the supreme magisterium, particularly in an ecumenical council. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: Joining me, Doctor Ray Garandi Here, the program Doctor is in Monday through Friday, one o'clock Eastern Time. Co-production: EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, A bunch of stations, four hundred to five hundred somewhere thereabouts around the world too. And they've been on me; they've been getting on me. Ray, you are in many, many different countries on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Uh, you need to develop language skills. So I've been working; I've been working two years now. Been studying. Yeah, Australian. Now, I'm I'm slow. When you get older people, we're slow at learning a new language. But I'm I'm coming along. Hello, take for a walkabout. Pretty much what I've got mastered. So as long as the questions have something to do with the walkabout, I'm okay. Sound like Matt Fred. Hi, Dr. Ray. Standard female appellation. I have a question about my spouse's phone usage alright now here's a line that I it's a, it's a prefatory line and I think it's a parallel to what I hear when many parents come to me regarding their child's misbehavior they usually start out with he's, overall he's a really good kid so this is the marital parallel of that he's a great husband and father and does spend a lot of time with us now, that sounds pretty good there, right? Great husband, father, great father. Spends a lot of time. All right. However, the big but. I'm very annoyed by his cell phone usage. He's a news junkie and loves interesting informational videos, scrolls through the news at the dinner table, at breakfast, at lunch, too. He will even put on a show for everyone to watch on the laptop or do FaceTime with relatives. Sometime during or after dinner, he'll wander into the living room and scroll some more. Before he goes to bed, he'll scroll more in our room. Not the content that bothers me. He's always watching interesting and informative stuff. It is the fact that I feel like I'm eating alone with my kids, ages 1, 3, and 4. Okay, so I'm a little confused here. Because on one hand, he's a great husband and father and does spend a lot of time. So, is all of this social media stuff interfering or is it not? Is it badly timed because it's being it's taking place at certain family moments? Uh, what, what exactly is it? And if he's a great husband and father and does spend a lot of time with us... Does he feel like I do my duty, so therefore I'm allowed to spend this amount of excess time? Or would he say it's not excess time, it's the total amount of time is an hour a day, and my wife does not like an hour a day? I don't know. Okay. I feel like I'm eating alone with my kids, ages 1, 3, and 4. Now, that's significant. I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> who, who are trying to maroon me at every meal. And I think he's talking about she's talking about her husband marooning her, and n- not the kids. And I would minimally like his active presence and ideal his cooperation in getting them to eat, so they are not crabby the rest of the day and they sleep at night. I'm confused here. I got to admit, it would be great to have an occasional family meal conversation too. In other words, what she's saying is. It so interferes that we have virtually no moments at night, on meals, during the day because of his immersion in the phone. All right, then here's the key. And I I didn't see this coming because I forgot about this particular email. He sees no, and she capitalizes no, N-O, problem. With his near-constant phone usage, he'll even pull it out while we're visiting people and in conversation. I find this really embarrassing, especially if it's an elderly person. His family loves technology, TV, and we will have the TV on almost all the time. Growing up, we didn't have the Internet. We were only allowed to watch VHS on Sunday. Before I was at a stay-at-home mom, I'd get home from work. And he would inform me that I left my phone at work. So we have very different perspectives on this issue. Well, Mom, I'll tell you, okay, if you didn't say he's a great husband and father and does spend a lot of time with us, I wouldn't be as confused. Now, it sounds like um, he doesn't spend a lot of time with you. That's where the problem is coming in. Um, you define him as a great husband and father i have no reason not to to i have no reason to doubt that but but then you're saying the phone usage essentially is 80% of his time at home obviously you've talked to him about this because you said he sees no problem with his phone usage none okay i I have no idea where he's coming from with this I have no idea why he doesn't respect your request I don't know Um, if he feels and, and I think this is a message for all spouses if I feel that I'm not doing anything wrong but I see that you have a significant problem with it then it would do me well As a good Christian spouse to say to myself self if it were just me living here I would do it this way however this seems to greatly disturb my spouse even though I think my spouse really doesn't have reason to be so disturbed as I see it now clearly that's what's happening here He sees no reason for him to cut back on his phone preoccupation. She says, I really, really wish you would. I really wish you would. This means so much to me. They're at loggerheads. But my advice to him would be, and he didn't write the letter, so this is kind of futile, so I'm talking to you folks listening. If your spouse says, I really wish you would do this. For example... To fix something that needs fixed. You're getting tired of being reminded about it every six months. And you think to yourself, that's no big deal. I don't need to fix it. But your spouse says, please fix it. Then fix it, for heaven's sake. The lawn is really, really high. Can you mow it? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Yeah, I know you've been saying that for four days. If your spouse says, this means a lot to me. And you think to yourself, "Well, that shouldn't mean a lot to you. Come on. I think you would do well, at least to consider meeting your spouse at some point where she would say, "Well, he has come in my direction," or he would say, "She has come in my direction." And I think, gentlemen, I'll use this particular e-person to say, "If this means so much to your spouse." and you think you're right, consider moving in her direction.
1: Hello friends and welcome to another segment of The Crux of the Matter. I'm Father Wade Menezes. Today I'd like to discuss why it is wrong for a man and woman to live together before marriage. There's an old wise maxim that states, the breaking of the rules before marriage will naturally lead to the breaking of the rules after marriage. It has also been said that fornication before marriage will likely lead to adultery after marriage. But what if the couple is living chastely? What if the couple is not having premarital relations? Let's say they're living together chastely for the sake of cutting down on expenses, for the consolidating of bills, and that they're planning on getting married in the near future. Is it still a good idea for them to live together before marriage, without the benefits of the marriage covenant? The answer is simply, no it is not. And this answer makes good logical sense. As faithful Catholics, we already know that the sin of fornication, that is, sexual relations before marriage, is displeasing to Almighty God. And if done with full knowledge and deliberate consent, it is a mortal sin. And what about all of the beautiful mystery that the marriage covenant brings with itself? If such mysteries, both the sexual and the non-sexual, are discovered before marriage, then the couple begins their covenantal union with no foundation on which to build its success. The old adage, familiarity breeds contempt, comes to mind here. Lastly, friends, why would someone take the risk of putting himself or herself in the near occasion of sin? Remember, as Catholics, we know that we're called not only to avoid sin directly, but we are also called to avoid what's called the near occasion of sin, those persons, places, or things that can lead us to sin. Living together does just that. To move in together is simply not a wise move at all. And that's the crux of the matter. God bless you, and thank you for joining us.
2: A slight tax increase cost you $200, and a substantial tax cut save you $0.30. Cents. I always wondered about that. Got to know the language. I'm Dr. Ray. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. The television show, Living Right With Dr. Ray, is in uh, season number 11. Yeah, I know. I hate looking back at those first seasons. I go, who's the young dude? What can happen in all that time? And I can't even blame it on the kids. They're out of the house. Uh, it's all, It airs uh, Saturday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, as well as uh, Tuesday and Thursday mornings. So uh, they, I guess EW10 keeps rerunning it. Hopefully I'm going to get it right. I've told them you're expecting an awful lot. This is E-Person Monday, where we together, if you're listening anyway, if you're not, then we don't do it together. Tackle. I'm going to say tackle. What the heck? I'm a guy. I'm allowed to use words like that. Tackle your e-messages as they come in Um, that previous e-message that I dealt with right before the break was (laughs) believe it or not sadly was from November yikes normally I don't wait that long and it got stuck in the stack and it was way down here but I just want one more postscript comment on this when couples come to my office for marriage counseling and they are locked into a particular area of disagreement they view it as, I'm right, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, I'm right. Remember that Remember that song by, I think, the Monkees? I'm a little bit wrong, you're a little bit right. Walk out, girl, don't you walk out, we've got things to say. Talk out, let's have a talk out and things will be okay. Girl, I don't want to fight, I'm a little bit wrong and you're a little bit right. Boy, that's a nice admission, isn't it? I'm a little bit wrong. Well, what happens in these situations is that if I think... That my particular way of doing it, or my particular stance, or my particular action, is the most reasonable. And you need to get in line. That's a recipe for ongoing conflict. What I usually suggest is, if it means so much to your spouse, and it's something that you can compromise on, then do it. I shouldn't have to. I'm not the one I'm not the one wrong. Much of the time it's not a matter of right and wrong. In our previous email, you know this guy was on his phone constantly. And he can say I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not watching pornography, I'm just this is cool, this is who I am. You gotta accept that. That's obviously what he's done because she's still frustrated and he sees no problem doing it. But yet it raises the question for me why not at least cut back a little bit when your spouse is saying could you not do this at the dinner table could you not do this when we're visiting what is the problem there what for someone to resist at that level says something i'm not sure what it says cuz i'm not in therapy with the person i can't go digging but it says something why Would you not give up that aspect of your conduct even a little bit if it is so distressing your spouse? Why not? What does that say? That's a question I would get at if somebody was in counseling with me. All right, what do we got this one here? Let me get to this one here. It's an interesting one. My sister, age 63, has been divorced for 18 years and is very lonely. Recently, she's been contacted by several different scammers who tell her how much they love her, which is exactly what she wants to hear. Now, I don't know how our writer knows this. She's either inferring it or her sister has told her this. They also tell her, how rich they are and how they'd love to meet her because they want someone to travel with blah 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 those are her blahs not mine she sends them cards and money to our knowledge they have taken her for more than twenty five thousand dollars in the last year needless to say her bank account is depleted She makes good money as a teacher, $70,000 a year range. But she gives her money away to her two sons, who make two and three times as much money as she does. She also gives it away to her grandkids and buys expensive gifts for friends. So apparently there is something within her. That wants to feel cared for wants to feel loved and she feels if I do this for all these people including strangers they're gonna think I'm a good person that's driving her that's what's the emotion that is driving her and that's where the frustration here is because it's not rational after being taken for 25 grand and depleting your bank account that you should keep doing this this makes no sense you would learn after the first five grand to be a little more cautious but she's not so Obviously, what she's thinking is one of these ones are going to be legit and I'll just keep spinning that roulette wheel until I hit. Now, this is interesting because this gives you a little historical perspective. Our dad used to say, and I don't know what age she was when dad used to say this, quote, give her a nickel and she'll spend a dime. And that hasn't changed. Her house is paid off. She would like to retire. But she doesn't realize she's not going to be able to live on her retirement savings at the rate she is going. Mm -hmm. She's constantly telling us how she doesn't have any money, but refuses to let any of us, four other responsible sisters, to help her. She refuses. Why does she refuse? (laughs) Because she doesn't need help managing her money. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Now, see, something like that tells you a whole lot, does it not? When someone is depleting themselves financially, when they are being taken advantage of multiple times by scammers on the Internet, when they are supporting their own grown children who sound like they are financially very much well off, and she still continues to do it. And she says, I don't need any help managing my money. I suspect she doesn't believe that, but that's her way of saying, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing because whatever is driving me is more powerful than the loss of my money i want people to love me i want them to care about me and if i have to in essence buy them i will one of our sisters is constantly helping her with large repair bills because she doesn't have the money we're all tired of this but don't know how to help her any words of advice yeah I don't know how long you've been trying to convince her. What she's doing is short-sighted. But clearly she's not letting you get through. If it were me, I would seriously consider not giving her any more money. I mean the only, the only way she's probably going to alter how she takes care of all this is going to be forced to look at Better management of her money. I, I, my style is, and I can't tell you what to do with your sister. But my style is, if I'm going to help you, and you show how irresponsible you are with my help, then I don't help anymore. I don't have a Christian obligation to keep feeding into your irresponsible behaviors. As a matter of fact, I'm hurting you. So in some respects, you could make a case that 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 I'm being unchristian in doing this. I don't know how long you have been attempting to convince her that what she's doing is causing all kinds of far-reaching repercussions for her and she still isn't going to change so at this point you might want to get together your sisters and say what are our limits what are we going to do and what are we going to stop doing at this juncture in our lives and her lives this is the doctor is in
0: We have something that stands in utter contrast to the lies of this world. It's called the Word of God. The Word of God is what demolishes all that sets itself up as an opponent to the good, the true, and the beautiful. All that sets itself up as an opponent to Christ Jesus. The Word of God is given to us so that we have something to hold on to that's true in all circumstances. We always have a place where we can wash ourselves in the regenerating waters of Scripture. We have a place to retreat to, where we can cling to what is true. The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, of the joint and the marrow, and it's a judge and critic of the thoughts and attitudes of the heart.
2: Cresta in the Afternoon, Weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Christ is the answer, with Father John
3: Ricardo. I repeat, I'm sure ad nauseum to the guys who are here, a line from Pope Benedict Emeritus now, who used to say over and over again, to be a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice, but the result of an event, an encounter, a meeting with the living God in the person of Jesus Christ. This and nothing less is what it means to be a Christian. So we said the new evangelization is new in ardor. That's a kind of old fashioned word. What in the world is ardor? Ardor is zeal, fervor, passion. Are you passionate about Jesus? Passionate about Jesus. Are you zealous for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him?
2: Had a traumatic experience a few weeks back uh, the very first uh, episode of season 11 living rabbit dr. ray had a delightful lady on Micheline friedenberg who has a national program regarding helping emergency room people personnel physicians nurses deal more sensitively with a huge huge phenomenon which is miscarriages and up to this point miscarriages have pretty much been dealt with uh, quickly and peremptorily and the woman has been sent home I made a mistake in answering this this was the trauma I was wrong and I remember the last time I was wrong was uh, I think it was 1994 and uh I thought I was wrong, and I really wasn't wrong, so I guess you could say I was wrong. But then there's this is trauma in 2022. Again, that's soon being wrong, a mere 28 years later. It's from Teresa. On your show from San Diego, you mentioned that with most miscarriages, unlike abortions, the women aren't dealing with the guilt as much. I was informed by Michaeline, who knows a lot more about this than I do, That, in fact, many uh, women and men who deal with a miscarriage have a lot of blame, self-blame. Is it something I did? The way I ate? Am I being punished? What's happening here? In essence, how is this, at some level, my fault? And we had a question from the audience where I said, I suspect that depending upon the person's post-reaction to the abortion, that there would be the guilt factor that would be larger. And I still think it would be larger, but I underestimated the guilt factor sometimes present in miscarriages. Now, Teresa says this. Watching the pro-life shows on EWTN, they believe that the huge rise in miscarriages, in part, are due to chemical abortions. Not reported as abortions, but miscarriage because when the women go to the hospital due to complications or effects of the chemical abortion, groups are encouraging these women not to report that they had taken the abortion pills. I I had not thought about that, the RU-486 and the pills that essentially chemically cause an abortion so that the person does not have to have a surgical abortion and because of complications they head to the emergency room and they have to deal now with the miscarriage but they don't report that they have used abortifacients so i learned again wrong again back to back wrongs that's tough We're getting close to the end of the program, and I would like to thank you for joining me here. The program comes to you Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Some 400-plus stations in the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. My website's drray.com. My newest book is there, Living Calm, Mastering anger and frustration just got word recently that it was number one on amazon what category it was i think it was the category of books written by a guy with 10 kids but yeah hey you know you gotta mean if you're gonna be number one in a category you gotta you gotta make a new category it's kind of like the old strategy on the guinness book of world records it's hard to beat an old world record so you make up a new category you know how many times you've bounced a ping pong ball on a paddle while you had one eye closed it's a new category uh, also as I said my website dr. drray.com. that book is there living calm as well as the re-release of adoption should you could you and then what and that book was written to basically try to overcome the anxieties the nervousness the questions both before and after adoption so maybe there's a lot of folks out there that would say you know what okay okay I'm, I'm settled enough about some of these concerns that I'm going to look into this. I'm going to give a kid a home that wouldn't otherwise have a mommy and a daddy. I thank you for joining me. I thank Andrew Krucik for all he does over there in Ann Arbor. If the world hates you because of Jesus, that's fine. If they hate Jesus because of you, that's a problem.
0: For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: That when you shop online this year At smile.amazon.com And click on La Promesa Foundation A percentage of your purchase goes to the GRN So whether you're shopping online For yourself or others You're also helping to support GRN's mission Of evangelization It's a soul-saving mission And now it's only a click away Again, just go to smile.amazon.com And click La Promesa Foundation On behalf of the GRN May you have a blessed Advent And a Merry Christmas The Guadalupe
4: Radio Network would like to thank Dignity Women's Center for their support of Catholic Radio in San Antonio. Dignity Women's Center promotes the dignity of women by caring for the total person, physical, psychological, and spiritual. To learn more about their services, which includes a kid's play area and a certified massage therapist, you can call 210-593-4392 or visit them online at DignityWomenCenter.com. Thanks for your support for the Guadalupe Radio Network.
1: Oh, come let us adore him. Hi, this is Dave Palmer. Doesn't that perfectly describe our disposition during this Christmas season? We have the honor of being able to adore the Christ child at Christmas and adore him throughout the year in the Blessed Sacrament and receive him at Mass. And what a blessing also that we can tune in to the GRN anytime to keep our minds focused on our Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Church. Merry Christmas and a blessed new year to you and your family.
0: A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. This is the station the Lord has made. KJMA. 89.7 FM. Floresville, San Antonio. Also at grnonline.com. So listen daily, rejoice, and be glad.
3: Once said... Let the Creator deal with the creature. Ask yourself, how many times have I given my spouse to God and let him deal with him or her? That's actually the best remedy for those irritating things that you so badly want changed in your spouse. Let the Creator deal with the creature. Lay those complaints on the altar and walk away. Don't go back and get them. Leave them there. You will be pleasantly surprised to see the changes, especially the changes in yourself. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. Check us out on Facebook and Parlor.